1: Welcome back, and I am Seth Leibson this Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, Frenzy. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as a temporary madness. Synonyms include agitation and fever. Frenzy's Latin root comes from freneticus, which means delirium or madness. Some of you may think of Alfred Hitchcock's epic movie of the same name frenzy, the promotional poster of which reads from the master of shock, a shocking masterpiece. So add shock to the synonymal list. Today, we learn that the attorney best known for launching lawsuits and threats of lawsuits against Donald Trump, one Michael Avenatti, will be sent to prison for four years. The man who was best known for boasting of being able to put Trump in prison, who contemplated a presidential run on that prospective success was hailed as the savior of our republic. That is no overstatement. Joy Behar specifically said he was the man who was going to save this country. He was on television 250 times in one year in friendly interviews, boasting and being boasted about for all of the above. And around all that atmosphere in Washington, D.C., was Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, And Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and Nancy Pelosi, the speaker of the House of Representatives, speaking continuously and routinely about President Donald Trump having created and creating an ongoing constitutional crisis in this country. Every month, they didn't shrink from elevating anxiety or frenzy and thrived in and on it. Constitutional crisis. That's the stuff of Watergate. In the sense that it led to the premature exiting of a president, of course, throughout these various and sundry constitutional crises from 2017 to 2021, we were told they were actually worse than Watergate. And yet here we are somehow having made it through all those crises of our Constitution with a more peaceful transfer of power to Biden than there was from Obama to Trump. If you doubt me, go back and read about the mayhem that took place in D.C. on the day of Donald Trump's inauguration. I don't want to repeat it just now, but we've gone over it and we can do so again if needed. I don't want to lose the larger point. We are always in frenzy mode or at least told we need to be. It's not healthy, folks. And when it wasn't fever pitched high enough, we took covid and put people, particularly our youth, into more frenzy. Some of some of us said calm down. Some of us said this is not how we should be operating. Some of us said you can break people and thus break a country with this high anxiety and fever-pitched constant cataract of crises. Frenzy should not be and is not a normal or healthy default state. It is, by definition, a mentally unhealthy state. But with fear and exaggeration and high-octane rhetoric, we made it damned near normal. Go back and look at the crawler feeds on Fox and CNN and MSNBC during the Trump years. Death tolls, calls for and interviews on impeachment, walls closing in, predicted everywhere and always, panic about transmission of the – all of it. Worst of all to the children, total and complete disruption, convulsion really to their lives and not a moment of pause because the political objective was too important, getting the Republican out of office. Now the bow has broken. And down came the children, education and mental health and all. And we put up with being told we don't take mental health seriously or only want to use it as an excuse not to talk about the real issues. Well, this is the real issue. May I read from Fox News this morning? Quote, 70 percent of U.S. public schools have reported an increase in students sinking mental health services since the start of the covid-19 pandemic pandemic. According to data released Tuesday, more than three quarters, 76 percent of public schools also reported an increase in concerns from staff regarding their students, depression, anxiety and trauma since the coronavirus pandemic began. According to data collected between April 12th and April 25th by the National Center for Education Statistics within the U.S. Department of Education's Institute of Education Scientists, the U.S. Department of Education did this research. Seventy six percent of public schools reporting an increase in concerns from staff regarding their students, depression, anxiety and trauma. Seventy percent of public schools reporting an increase in seeking of mental health services. Department of Education asked about this. The U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, shifted a bit. To the Ivaldi shooting and said this, quote, I am ashamed that we as a country are becoming desensitized to these horrific tragedies. We can do better and must do better, close quote. Do these people not know they were the cause of the de- desensitization by ramping up every piece of rhetoric possible about the previous president and how important it was not to allow children to play with one another, go to school with one another? eat lunch with one another, play in athletic or musical and extracurricular activities together, all because we were supposed to be afraid of their spreading a disease that would kill their parents, teachers and grandparents. And the solution? More of everything we had been spending the past two decades trying to reduce, namely children in front of screens. Meanwhile, adults were told constitutional crisis, a president who's a fascist, racist and worse than Hitler, And this messaging all the time, all the time in a continuous loop from Avenatti to Pelosi every day for years. I haven't even begun to address the other disruptions to children, by the way. Tell them what they naturally know does not matter. Should not make them feel inferior. Race should not make them feel inferior, superior, guilty or innocent. Should, in fact, matter, we told them, and should, in fact, make them feel inferior or superior, guilty or innocent, we told them. Then take something they never thought about was deemed so naturally immutable, their gender or sex, and tell them it wasn't so necessarily naturally immutable. In fact, it is mutable, changeable. And we are shocked that the seams have burst, that the cradle did fall, and told once again, we aren't on our side, the serious ones when it comes to sounding serious about mental health. Do you know the system of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather? It's the 1845 story by Edgar Allan Poe, from which we get the phrase, the inmates have taken over the asylum. A physician wanted to see a reputed asylum that boasted it had figured out how to treat the insane using something called the soothing system. When he got there, he noticed the administrators were agitated, but the patients placid. What he only realized later was that there was an uprising, (laughs) And the insane had taken over and imprisoned the administrators, the sane. And what did the new masters do? They, quote unquote, humored their patients by doing what? Never contradicting their fantasies or hallucinations. If I may quote from Edgar Allan Poe from the story, quote, We contradicted no fancies which entered the brains of the mad. On the contrary, we not only indulged but encouraged them. And many of our most permanent cures have been thus effected. There is no argument which so touches the feeble reason of the madman as the argumentum ad absurdum. We have had men, for example, who fancied themselves chickens. The cure was to insist upon the thing as a fact to accuse the patient of stupidity and not sufficiently perceiving it to be a fact, and thus to refuse him any other diet for a week that which properly pertains to a chicken. In this manner, we would feed them a little corn and gravel. Okay, That's the soothing system. We used to joke that a man may think he's Napoleon, but that doesn't make him so. When the inmates take over the asylum, that is just what makes him so where the frenzy becomes the normal and the agitated and anxiety-ridden foist their neuroses on the rest of us in order to normalize or one might say desensitize the rest of the society, be it in an asylum, in a school, or in a polis, a city, a country. Make crazy normal. Make right wrong. Make calm frenzy. But rest... Settling calm process, that was, in an ironic sense, the point of our American revolution and system of government. Putting into place permanent understandings of the human condition in the polity was the first step needed to regulate the government and to keep the calm and to follow norms and processes that were deemed important so as to avoid the irrational and the irregular and the emergency. But where's the calm? Gentlemen cry peace, peace, when there is no peace. And what will make it better? This last question is perhaps the most important. And by the way, do recall Joe Biden's campaign calling card? He was going to bring calm and soothing to the asylum we call the United States of America. Meanwhile, there are massive problems, actual crises here, baby formula shortage being one of them, impossibly unaffordable costs of the basics for livelihood like gasoline and power, to name just two, and of course, a massive rise in drug use and deadly overdose, much of it attached to to the frenzy that was created, much of it attached to to the dismissal of another crisis like what is taking place at our border. You want a constitutional crisis? References to citizenship are to be found about two dozen times in the U.S. Constitution. You know what else is found in the U.S. Constitution? The presidential oath. It reads thus, quote, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, close quote. That is not happening. But this is evidently not a crisis, constitutional or otherwise. It's fear-mongering, they say, or exploiting, they say, or distracting from the real dangers, they say, which are, of course, any one of us, questioning any one of them. In other words, you and me, and just generally normal or common-sense Americans. Oh, by the way, The Avenatti sentencing story is not to be found on CNN today. You know, the man they put on their network 121 times in one year. His sentencing, not a story. At least they haven't banned Edgar Allan Poe yet. You can still find his story in libraries and online. He's not taught in colleges and universities anymore, of course. But then, again, asylums don't promote the roadmap of their own disingenuity. Oh, and the Department of Education's new statistics on rising mental health problems in our youth, it's not on CNN either. Mutatus, mutandus. I'm Seth Liebson, 602 We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I was remarking uh, at the end of the last hour that the local political news here is that uh, former President Donald Trump has endorsed a candidate in our uh, race, Republican primary race for the U.S. Senate to replace Mark Kelly or to go up against Mark Kelly, and he has endorsed Blake Masters. My question to you is: How much does Donald Trump's endorsement matter to you when you're looking at these? primary races how much does his endorsement help make your mind up how much value do you place on it I'd love to know six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero Tony is in Scottsdale on this hi Tony hi
2: uh, Seth can you hear me okay yeah
1: I do you bet
2: okay so uh, I I think it's pretty evident that uh, that Trump is his endorsement has got a lot of pull. Um, I will tell you that. Being said, um, <clears throat> that being said, and I know I'm I'm gonna put off a bunch of uh, Trump people out there, and I'm one of them, a big believer in Trump policies, but I don't want him to run in 2024. I would love to see him. I would love to see him bag off and endorse Ron DeSantis and i if you were to do that I, I personally as as horrible as his biden administration has been i i think it would be it would be a runaway landslide election and uh, so anyway long story short i i think his endorsement in general still holds a lot of poll. and uh, and i'd love to see him i'd love to see him back off and support uh, Ron DeSantis for president.
1: You know whether he runs or not is an interesting question, uh, Tony. Too, and it's attendant to this; it's part and parcel of this. I was reading a Victor Davis Hanson column on it, where Victor says there there are some very good reasons uh, why why he may choose not to run. He said he isn't going to announce until after November. Uh, my curiosity uh, in asking you, Tony, is why would you prefer DeSantis to Trump running?
2: So I, I will say I was, of course, I was not happy with the election. I do think that Trump lost the election. Okay. Okay. I, do I think that there was some cheating that went on? Yes, I do. Do, But that being said, do I think that the media was against him? Yes. But I was very disappointed with his first speech. Uh, excuse me, not his first speech. The first, the debate. first
1: debate. Right. That first debate. And that was, I, a honestly, I, that I, was a doozy. That yeah.
2: was a doozy. Yeah. I uh, you know, honestly, to me, that was a big loot. That was really, I uh, personally, to me, I think that was what lost in the election. He he came out he came out like the scorpion that had to that had to sting the frog, crossing the river. He, he he came out as scorpion and he didn't need to, but, and so really, I I really felt like I really felt like he he just couldn't help himself, and it really all he had to do was basically address all the things that he'd done and all the. All he had done as president, which I thought was substantial, but um, but he he kind of got caught He got drawn into a shouting match, and it and it was not pretty. And I felt like that was what Tony. Do you agree with
1: uh, Tony? Do you agree with the thesis I'm about to give you here, which is that a lot of us Trump supporters underestimated the amount of hate he generated, the amount of distaste he had generated. A lot of us may have underestimated that. Do you do you believe that to uh, be true? I,
2: I, I would say I would say that's true. And I and I, I think that a a lot of Democrats and moderate Democrats held their nose and voted for Joe Biden. They they didn't vote they did they didn't vote for Joe. They voted against Trump.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. That first debate it was interesting. Um you know, I am I'm, I'm I'm not uh I'm not sure if I've read anywhere a definitive analysis of how whether that in fact lost him the election or not, but it I know it didn't help. I I hadn't thought of it since you raised it. I think I haven't thought of it since you raised it, but I remember thinking at the time. Uh, I was watching it with some friends who happened to be big donors. Uh uh, to the Donald Trump campaign, and I remember I remember the sense in that room was, you know, we were all supporters of Donald Trump, and uh, they were big donors uh, to him. But I remember the sense in the room was, you know, if you were trying to get an independent or perhaps a conservative-minded or at least common-sense-minded Democrat, an open-minded Democrat, To actually listen to the president rather than listen to CNN talk about the president. Uh, Like at that first debate, you would have failed. You would have failed.
2: That that was the
1: sense of the room. If we were trying to get people to actually listen to him in his own words rather than in CNN's words, he would have validated what CNN told them.
2: Not me. Not what I I knew of him. Not what I thought. But
1: it would have validated the leftist's worst views. I'm,
2: I'm I'm a sports guy. And so I, I kind of liken it to here. Here you had a guy who, pretty much for the most part, he pretty much just kind of like won the Super Bowl. And Matt, he really, he really attacked and and really, he did what he said he was going to do. Yep. And he 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 kind of came out like he was the underdog, and he and he had to be a fighter. And and he and he he, he did not need to do that.
1: I gotcha. I gotcha. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Others, feel free. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. No doubt, this will be a uh, discussable issue. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. The power. And value of the Trump endorsement of a candidate to you is what we're discussing. Uh, also, attendant to that is whether you think he um, he, sh- he will lend or should run in 2024. Connie's in Phoenix. Hi, Connie.
4: Hi, Seth. We've talked before. Nice to talk to you again. Nice
1: to talk to you again. Thanks for calling.
4: No problem. Um, okay. His endorsement doesn't influence me as much as um, in particular, like Lake versus uh, Robeson. Yeah, right? Yeah. she Mike doesn't have any executive experience that I can see.
1: So and, in that race, the endorsement means less to you?
4: Yes. You know whose endorsements mean more is yours, uh-huh. given you've <laughs> – because you've interviewed them. Oh, you're sweet. And, like, Stephen Moore uh-huh. helped her uh, –
1: yeah, no, know uh, he's Robeson. he's on Karen Robson's team. Yes, he wrote the exactly, uh, he, he was the Trump Reagan. economist. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Right.
4: So then you look at who they have around them. Yeah. And that is more influential to me.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Connie. Interesting. Do you think Trump should run in 2024? Second question.
4: My personal feeling is no.
1: You think he's less electable than someone else?
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I, You know, I, I agree with the age, yeah. the, those things. Yeah. I also think that, you know, it, it's a lot easier to go in and have eight years mm-hmm. and get a lot done versus, mm-hmm. you know, he'd only have four years. I think yeah. that's a yeah. huge argument. Yeah, that, that reminds
1: know? me of a funny story. I was talking, uh, funny, interesting, prescient story. I was talking in uh must have been this it was right before covid it was right before covid so it would have been probably january of 2020 with a um a washington conservative oh i'll say his name you may or may not remember a guy who used to run the uh, family research council named gary bauer and himself Mm -hmm. a candidate for president back in 2000 a conservative uh uh you know activist and 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 thinker and writer and and uh campaign for working families and i remember talking with him and saying, uh, you know, um, Trump is doing really great, and maybe, Gary served Ronald Reagan, maybe uh, the best, if not, you know, the single best, one of the best, if not the single best presidents in our in our lifetime, uh, just given the record of accomplishment, whether it was economy, international, domestic, the whole front, again, before COVID. And I remember Gary saying, yes, But four years isn't enough for him to do what he needs to do. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, I that I'm just reminded of that story when you say, you know, four years isn't enough. You're not alone. You're not alone in thinking that you're not alone. Well, And
4: the other thing is that, you know, uh, this whole line up your legacy and then they'll just vote the next person in your, your vice president or whatever. And that doesn't work very often.
1: Not for us. Not no. for us. Um,
4: well, I, it didn't even it, work for Joe Biden.
1: No, no, it it, it doesn't work for us. And well, that's a good point. It doesn't work for them either. It when is the last time the vice president of a Democrat won in the next succeeding election year? It didn't happen for Walter Mondale. It didn't happen for Al Gore. It didn't. The
4: only times it's happened is when they assume. Um, because
1: uh, the president died, mm-hmm. that's exactly.
4: Then, I,
3: I, th-
1: I think I think that's right. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. So it happened for Lyndon Johnson, who didn't uh, who didn't run for a full second term, right? He didn't run for two terms, but that's how he got into the office, and that's how Jerry Ford became president. But yeah, no, it didn't work for mm-hmm. Dan Quayle. It didn't work. Yeah, it's it's not it's not the best method, uh, and 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 that's why I think the Democrats may actually have a bigger problem than we do. To be honest with you, because for as much as people may want Donald Trump to run, we do actually have a bench that's damned good, including, you know, the big the the other the other elephant in the room, Ron DeSantis. And I haven't even gotten down to next, perhaps next tier candidates that are, you know, kind of heroic to us as well. Certain senators and certain other governors. But having said that, who they got? They got Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders. Right? I mean, yeah. I'd rather our bench than theirs. I'll tell oh, you. Boy, I guess. Yeah. Hey, Connie, thank you for your input. I appreciate it. I see some other callers want to weigh in as well. I'm fascinated by your, your outlooks on this. Thank you for your nice words as well, Connie. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for a really great, unique investment opportunity with a great return for the investors, for you, the investor, I want you to check out my friends at YRe5. spent a lot of time with them. They are my friends. They are talking about a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure Portfolio Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and it's run by really great people who are doing really well by helping others, and you can too. Help others do what? Help others dig out of debt the right way by doing the right thing and paying off their debts and doing so with dignity. What more can I tell you about these guys except I really like them and I really like what they have to offer. Check them out yourselves at investyrefi.com. Dot com. That's the word invest. The letter Y. Then R E F Y dot com. Invest Y Or give them a call at eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. Invest Y Refi Tell them Seth sent you. Lisa is in Phoenix. Hello, Lisa.
3: Hello, Seth. Thanks for taking my call. Of
1: course. How are you?
3: I'm um, good. Good. I agree with the last lady. If you support somebody, I would take your recommendation oh, you're 100%. Very kind.
1: You're very kind. Well, I will make sure to uh, – you know what I'll do, Lisa? You're very kind. I'll do this. Uh, and, and, uh, when 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 the mail-in ballots drop, uh, I will give my complete list of endorsements and reasons for them. And then you can judge on the reasons. How's that? You can weigh the reasons and whether that, my reasoning is sound. And I'll let everyone do that. I'll do that. A, would be yeah. That would,
3: that would be wonderful. But here's what I want to yes. say. And you're not gonna you're not gonna like this.
1: I don't know that. <laughs> I might you
3: know, like you know, it. Oh, you're oh no no. The conversation <laughs> so far has been absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay. No. Yeah. Because once you show me who you are. Believe them the first time. Okay. Maya Angelou said that. So talking about a civil, a civil debate or a non-civil debate is a bunch of baloney. Donald Trump did what he said he was going to do like no other president. And so the discussion about his civility is a joke. We're dealing with the swamp. You know who the swamp well, is? Well, hold on, hold on, one quick sec.
1: Was... Hold on, one quick sec. Yes, I I agree with you as a matter of the merits. But that is not a question that is a matter of electability, right? I mean, a good president not only gets things done the right way, but can persuade people that he is or she is doing so, right? I mean, that the persuasion part is pretty darn important for the vast electorate that isn't like you and me that looks at the data and looks at the unemployment numbers and looks you know, at that kind of thing, right? I mean— sometimes the only opportunity people get is seeing the president on TV and not seeing what the data shows. Uh, that that That's just okay. a small asterisk. You probably agree with that.
3: I do agree with that. But you know what? I fill my gas tank, and so does 100% of the population fill their gas tank. Yes. So Donald Trump made us not dependent on thugs like Iran and like Venezuela. Right. And
1: we're in no agreement. We're in agreement said. on that. We're in agreement on that. But look at to t- t- take okay. one sector, so one segment. Let's just say one sector or segment of what a great successful presidency he had. Let's look at unemployment. You talk to economy, get you know gas prices, etc. Let's look at unemployment record yeah. level lows under Donald Trump, and because of Donald Trump, uh, including in yeah. minority communities. If you were right, Lisa, if you were right about what matters, he would have won a majority of black and Hispanic voters. He did not.
3: He won more than he, uh, he did in the past. The yes. The numbers he got in those communities were very good. Yes. Compared to but the 2000 thing, I don't believe he lost the election. I
1: understand that. No, I'm, and you're not alone in that. You're not alone in that at all. But... It's fair to say that whatever you believe as to whether he lost the election or not, the same factors that helped animate, you know, the Joe Biden, shall we say, victory in this case, the same factors are going to be attendant to him. For example, I happen to think that the biggest factor. That disturbed the force of the election, the biggest factor that altered the election, the biggest interference had to do with what the media did regarding the Hunter Biden story. And I don't have to believe it. The data is there. It showed in six swing states that voters of Biden who didn't know about that story, if they did, would not have voted for Biden and would have voted for Trump in enough cases that would have given Trump a decisive Victory beyond any of the dispute having to do with um, having to do with uh, with uh, ballot harvesting and or machine manipulation. That problem would still exist. It might even exist in a greater in, 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 in greater measure. I mean, if the media is power hungry and power thirsty and knows that it can exercise and flex that muscle, it will do so again, won't it?
3: But what we don't have, I think, is the money or the will to show who our candidates are. Mm. You know, I talk, I talk to people about Donald Trump. They don't believe he did half the things that he did. Right, I know. The media. I know,
1: I know, I know. You're abs- You're absolutely right about that. You're absolutely right about that, which doesn't that kind of go to the argument that the ability— For him to uh, better propel the case is important.
3: Yes, but if he's so, Ron DeSantis, do you think that Ron DeSantis is going to get a smooth ride? He's going to be attacked. Oh, I think you're absolutely
1: right about that too, Lisa. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I I I think so. I think he will be attacked just as much as Donald Trump, who was attacked, quite frankly, almost as much as Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. It's just that we had social media now or have social media now. So it becomes a question of who can better appeal to broader swaths and respond to those attacks in a way that appeals to broader swaths. I think I think you and I aren't that far apart on this. Lisa, I don't think we are. I don't think we are.
3: No, no. No, but the difference is Donald Trump was taken to court. Donald Trump was sued. Donald Trump was impeached twice. Yeah. Uh, every legal thing was against him. Yep. The FBI. Yep. Mueller. Yep. Everybody. You're right.
1: It's an, it's a, it's incredibly won him. it all. It's incredibly got any votes, <laughs> frankly. Yes, when you think. A, no, you're right.
3: Anything
1: done. I. It's Lisa. He's a feat of nature. He really is. There's no question about it. And and you're right on these fronts. You're right. It's a it's very valid points. I got to take the break. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. We had a pretty hot topic issue, and we have some callers on hold. That, that we just ran the clock. At, we ran out of time on the clock. So if you call back tomorrow and say you are on hold. Let us know you're on hold. We'll happily put you to the top of the list. Uh, got a bunch of you, so I apologize that we're running up against the um, 6 o'clock break. Uh, let, me, let me conclude on a few things here. Um, there's an expression you hear a lot in Washington, D.C., um, that to govern is to choose. And um, yes, to govern is to choose, but so too is to elect. To elect is to choose even more so. And it's interesting to me that through the breaks, I was watching Joe Biden's speech from the White House tonight on the issue of um, gun violence in America, which we had a caller early on that says just call it violence. I'm, I'm down with that, but giving giving it to you the way Joe Biden uh, phrased it or framed it. He's talking about gun violence. Think about the candidacy of Joe Biden. And think about the choices he's made since he's become president. The cho- the choices he's made in in governing. Uh, think about what we were sold as a country, and what his campaign and candidacy was about. It was about soothing and healing and repairing, wasn't it? Does it strike you at all odd if you watch this Biden speech? And I would ask that you go to a you know a website or whatever, C-SPAN, YouTube, whatever you use. Uh, To watch the speech he gave uh, this evening on gun violence, um, as he put it, does it make sense to you that he would be angry and bitter in this speech after a national tragedy? Is that what you want from your president of the United States, especially one who is supposed to soothe and be bipartisan, scolding another party, angry, invoking God's name? Is that what you want from your president, especially after a national tragedy, especially as... He's blaming division in our country. He is the chief divider. He is the divider in chief. I'm Seth and God bless you all. We'll pick up the uh, rest of the conversation tomorrow. I hope you have a great evening. And until tomorrow, class
0: is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's